Gospel of Luke. And what we discover when we sit with Jesus for a meal, uh, all sorts of amazing things happen when people gather around and eat with Jesus. Uh, so there's healing, there's confrontation, uh, there's stories that get told, there's forgiveness that gets uh, given, all sorts of things. And it's, uh, it's interesting, if you're reading through Luke, it's been said that Jesus is either on his way to or sitting at or coming from a meal just about everywhere in Luke. It seems to be a focus of his. Quite a number of times he tells us about what happens when Jesus sits down with people or reclines uh, around the table. So I'm going to invite us, as we take a look at the meals in Luke, invite us to kind of join in on the dinner party and see what happens when we meet with Jesus at the table. This first one uh, is about Levi and these tax collectors. Why don't we just jump right into this passage? Take a look at Luke 5, 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his bench. This is where he would work, collecting his taxes, counting things, I suppose. I don't quite know what he would do. He said to him, follow me, leaving everything he rose and followed him. There's a lot we can say about giving up your life and following Jesus and how that is completely and totally worth it. And uh, Levi seems to think so. He leaves everything, gets up and follows him. And look what he does. Look what Levi's response is to being called by Christ. Levi makes a great feast. I love that it says great feast. Not, you know, mediocre party of sorts. No, this, this is a good time. Great feast. In the house, there's a large company of tax collectors. There's others reclining at table with them. So yet, just to get a picture, they wouldn't have sat in chairs so much. So the table would be kind of lower set. And often you'd kind of recline around it. You would kind of lean on one elbow. And your feet would you'd kind of point yourself toward the table, and your feet would be away from the table. It's it's different times, smellier times. Uh, first century, uh, you're walking around in your sandals, and it's kind of grim, you know. The roads are dusty, and there's animals and people and all kinds of stuff. And so, when you came to eat, you would wash. You would often be anointed to deal with the smells of things, and you pointed your feet away from the table. And so that's why it's, it'll say sometimes reclined at the table. Uh, so they're all kind of, they're there eating, drinking, having a great time. Jesus calls Levi a tax collector. And I think uh, it's easy to kind of skip over this. But right off the bat, we're invited to ask, well, what kind of people does Jesus eat with? Now, tax collector, you might go, well, tax collectors aren't my favorite people. Perhaps, I don't know who your tax life has been these days. But uh, here's a guy that you don't. Uh, comes after you for the money you owe. But it goes a little deeper than that. Uh, the land at the time, uh, Judah, is being controlled by the Roman Empire. So Rome has come in, they're controlling it, and Rome exacts a tax from the people to go back to Rome, back to the emperor. So to do that, well, instead of sending all your Roman guys to do that, so there's Roman soldiers around, but you would hire Jewish people to help collect your tax. What this means is that your tax collectors are the people that are kind of in league with your enemy. And so it would make sense for people, the Pharisees here, to go, why is he eating with tax collectors? They're the ones who are friends with the big bad empire that we're trying to get out of our backyard. Does that make sense? These aren't just tax collectors and we don't like them because we don't like giving money. They're tax collectors and that reminds us of the fact that we're under another nation's control or occupied in some sense. Does that make sense? 
So to them, it's a it's a weird thing. Jesus is eating with people who aren't kind of towing the national patriotic line, so to speak. Who are, what? Why would he eat with these people? And Jesus, by choosing to eat with them, going to Levi's house, is telling something really important about the heart of God, which is that everyone, including the tax collector, including the social outcast, including the one that most people seem to look down on for some reason or another, but everyone gets invited to the table where Jesus is. Everyone is called by God back into relationship with him. Everyone. There's no one excluded. No one excluded. This baffles the Pharisees. Look at verse 30. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. They're not grumbling at him. I find this kind of funny. They're grumbling at the disciples. They won't come and talk to him, basically. They grumble at the, at the disciples that are with him. Why do you eat with why do you eat drink with tax collectors and sinners, right? So they're kind of looped in together. These are these are kind of the not great people of society. These are the these are the ones that you kind of look down on. Why would he eat with them? Look at Jesus' response. He says two things that are really important for us. Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. And then this, I have not come to call the righteous and sinners to repentance. So in our very first meal, Jesus talks about the, it's the reason he's come, folks. It's the very core of the gospel message itself. It's the very center of the Christian faith. He calls us to the table to invite us into repentance. Now, if you were to ask what is Christianity all about, what is Jesus all about, uh, what does a guy from 2,000 years ago uh, have to do with my life today, you would want to go to this passage. This would illuminate for you why he's come. It's important, I think, folks, to be able to answer that question well. We live in a time where there's a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is or what Christianity is about, what following Jesus is about. You know, for a lot of people, faith is, um, they would say, well, faith, that's the thing you vote heaven and hell, right? What, what, what you do, what happens at the end of your life. You know? And a lot of people would think something along these lines that, uh, as Christians, we would believe that we try and live a good life as best as we can, and sometimes we do okay, and sometimes we don't, and you know, it kind of goes like this, and at the end of our life, God shows up, and he kind of assigns us to heaven or hell. Does that sound familiar? Lots of people believe that. Maybe you believe that. That's not the Bible. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about something much better than that. I'm going to invite you to look at what Jesus is on about when it comes to repentance, I'm going to invite you back to Mark chapter 1. So turn back in your Bible. If you're in the Pew Bibles, page 836. Look at Mark 1. If we're going to ask the question, what's Jesus really about? Why does he invite people to meet with him? What is the point of him coming? What is his message? What is the gospel? Why have people been following Jesus for 2,000 years? Why can we believe in him? If you're asking all those questions, this is a good place to go. Mark 1. Verse 1. In the beginning, or sorry, the beginning of the gospel, or the good news, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So you can stop right there. That's what the Bible's all about. It's the good news about Jesus. And the news is what? 
I guess what happened when I died? Is that what verse 2 is going to be about? Right? No, it's not about that. It's not as though that doesn't matter. Jesus promises that when we believe in him, when we die, we're with him in glory, everything's all right. But that's secondary to the main thing. That is not at its core what being a Christian is about. Look at verse 2. What is the good news of Jesus? As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face will prepare your way. What? That has nothing to do with going to heaven or hell. What's Mark talking about? What's the good news? In Mark's mind, the good news links you up to a story that's already flowing. To get who Jesus is, you must realize you're suddenly part of a story that's already going on. It has something to do with Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied that God was going to personally come and he was going to bring his forgiveness and his life back to a world that was full of sin and evil and brokenness. Isaiah promised that God himself would come and rescue a broken world. He was going to come and personally save us. And so Mark tells you, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ is this. The time's been fulfilled. What Isaiah promised, that God himself would come and deliver us, is now coming true in Jesus. God himself is going to destroy sin and death. And he's going to invite us to repent and get our lives back on track with him. That's the good news. Now, if you want to hear Jesus himself proclaim the good news, look at verse 14. So you're still in Mark 1. Go to 14, 15, just down the page, or over the page, depending on what your Bible's like. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the good news of God. What's the good news? What's the gospel? He's about to tell you. This is the words of Jesus about what he's come to do. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Did you catch it? What's the good news? It's something he just said. The good news is that the time has come and something has drawn near. What's come? What's the time that's come? The time Isaiah talked about. That God has personally arrived. And what's drawn near? The kingdom of God himself. That God's reign and God's life has now come to bear on the brokenness of humanity. So the story of the Bible is not primarily, I'm not saying it doesn't include anything like this, the story of the Bible is not primarily about me and me flying away from earth to go to heaven. It's not primarily about that. The story of the Bible is primarily about God. And it's about God coming to earth to deal with our sin and our death and our brokenness. You see the difference? The main theme is not escaping. It's about God coming and invading. Invading the evil in our world as good as invading the brokenness and the sin in your heart and mind and placing it with his life and his salvation. And it's a picture, folks, of God's great love. He he so wants to rid the world of sin and evil that he's going to come himself and deal with it. And he deals with it 
by letting all of our sin and evil, the full power of our hatred and our violence and our injustice and our, our oppression as human people, he's going to take the full weight of that and allow the power of evil to exhaust itself upon him. And he's going to absorb all of it and let it kill him. That's what the cross is about. He's going to take the fullness of human sin and evil and let it kill him so that you don't have to die. That's who our God is. And the resurrection is God's great yes to his creation. That death will not hold Jesus. And in the same way, death will no longer have a final say in your life or mine. That the life of Jesus on Easter morning is now a life that is extended and welcomed and invited to you and to you and to you, to each and every one of us, are now invited to participate in the life of God himself. That's the good news. Now, if you die in the meantime, and you believe the Lord, are you in heaven? Yeah, you're good. It's good. You are, you're okay. Jesus says that you're Today you will be with me in paradise. To the man dying on the cross who says, Lord, I'm sorry, I want, I want to turn to you. In that moment, there's not a lot of time for kind of conversion at the cross. There's the thief beside me says, Lord, will you be with me? Will I be with you? Are things going to be okay? There's a turn of heart. Jesus says, you're good. You will be with me in paradise. But that's not the end. The end is not fly away. Read Revelation 21 and 22. The end is a new heaven and new earth, the resurrection of the So, what you see in the good news of the gospel, especially here in Mark and all throughout, is that Jesus has come to reveal the heart of God for you. It's a, it's a heart full of love and welcome and invitation, but it's a heart that invites you out of it. It's like pulling you out of the sin and evil in your own heart, which he's going to deal with on the cross but inviting you now into the life that you will experience forever. And that's why Jesus can say eternal life isn't just something you go and live later. It's something that begins now in you. That's why he can say the kingdom of God has come now for you. It's not just something far off that you get to live in. It's now come near and it's being birthed in you as you turn to Christ in faith and, and repent and allow your heart to be transformed. And that is what's happening at the table back in Luke. So turn back to Luke now. You've got that background kind of in your head. What does he say? This is the place of forgiveness and love and welcome. This is what God has come to do to, as Isaiah foretold, to personally invade our world with his love and his goodness by coming himself, dealing with our sin and inviting us into new life. What do we see? What does Jesus say? Reread verse 31 now. Why does he eat with them? Those who are there have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He's come after everyone who is lost in sin and evil and brokenness, friends, and that's every single one of us. And then this, what a great picture. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love this picture of calling. Such a picture of the table. Come on over and experience the life of the grace of God. But it's, a, it's an invitation, not a sort of legalistic police officer telling you what you need to do. It's a, it's a fatherly invitation to come, repent. This is where true life is. 
but he says he's a doctor. And it's, it's like, folks, the gospel's a bit of a double-edged sword. Jesus has come to drive the sin and evil out of our world, but that will also mean he has to drive the evil out of me. And uh, that means that's, that, that means I'm going to have to change. That means I'm going to have to repent and change my life around. And those of you that have come to Christ later in life, sometimes this is the case. If you've lived a life where you felt so far from God and you know you've been far from Lord, and there came this moment of your conversion where you came to Christ and you repented and you began to transform your life, you know how radical that change has been for you. And I know there's one in this room who can attest to that. That when that moment came, there was a repentance from how I've been living and a turning to Christ, he began to transform your heart and life. And I know there's lots here who are going, yep, that was me. The picture here is a doctor, isn't it? It's like Jesus is a surgeon. And it's like he comes with a knife to cut you open and to deal with the sin and the evil in your heart. Uh, so is that a good thing? Yeah. Is that a painful thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to hurt. And that's why the call for repentance is a change. This is going to require a radical change of your own heart. But it's so hard. Because this is God Himself coming to see you. That's the good news, folks. That's the story of the Bible: is that the great physicians come to heal you, to literally get the hell that is within you out of you. Can I say that? He's come to take the sin and evil out of you, and He wants to do this for everyone. That's why He's calling us, and He does this calling right. For the sinners, the tax collectors, but he's also calling the Pharisees, who are the righteous ones. How does he call them? He confronts their pride and their arrogance. Mm-hmm. So much so that eventually these guys are going to plot to kill them. It's easier sometimes to silence people that confront you than to change your own heart. And we see that in the Pharisees. But God is so committed his creation, that he's going to come and rid the world of sin, and he will take it upon himself, and he wants to kind of do that surgery work and cut it out of you. And he calls you, friends, in the same way he calls the tax collectors here, he calls the Pharisees, calls us to repentance, he wants to call you and offer you his life. The same call that we read here is the same call that happens each and every day. So I'm going to invite you to allow him to drive the root of evil and sin out of your heart. Maybe you've been walking with him for a long time. He, he has saved you. He has done that work. You are resting in him. You are saved. And yet there's recesses in your heart that you know you need to give to him. And it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but there's a walk that's happening. and There's a discipleship that's happening. And you know along the way there's this part of me that does not want to follow Christ. I invite you to give that part to him today. But maybe there's some of you who have never repented, never said, God, I'm sorry for I've been living my life. I want to follow you. I need to follow you. I invite you to do that this morning. Jesus is so committed to you that he's actually going to take all the brokenness, all the sin and evil in your life, let it kill him. And then invite you into his new resurrected life. Isn't that amazing? What a gift. Totally undeserved. 
That's the story the Bible's telling, folks. It's a compelling story. It's a, it's a challenging story. But you know what? Your friend who doesn't believe in Jesus also wants the evil and sin of the world taken out of them. Mm-hmm. If you were to say to your friend, you know, man, this whatever stuff with ISIS is really bad, isn't it? Yeah. Sex trafficking is really bad, isn't it? They would want to see the world rid of that sin and evil also. You know what? So does Jesus. Sometimes when we enter into a relationship with our friends who maybe aren't Christians, um, it's hard to know what to say. Some of us can become preachy, start telling them stuff, and uh, sometimes that just closes people off. Have you ever found that? Some of us are so timid, it's hard to know what to say. One of the best things you can do is simply ask questions. What do you really think about this? What do you really think about Jesus? And as you hear where their hearts are, you understand where they're coming from, it allows you as a friend to speak into their lives with love and with truth. And along the way, you might be able to say, you know what, I don't believe that Jesus either. That thing you just described, I don't believe that. And they go, oh, really? Yeah. Jesus doesn't like that either. Oh, tell me more about it. Two things for us. Friends, you are all called to meet the physician who wants to rid you of sin and evil. And if you've never received them, I invite you to it today. But for many of us, we have friends who have never come to faith and who need to hear the good news. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you have pen and paper, to think of the names of a few people that you love dearly who've never come to Christ. Uh, maybe you've talked to them about the Lord, maybe you never have, but they're friends or family, relatives, co-workers, grandparents, siblings, I don't know, sons, daughters, people in your heart and in your life that you know need to encounter Jesus. You write those names down. And what I'm going to do as we as I wrap up this sermon is just invite us to pray for them. We're going to pray for opportunities to speak to them in a way that's life-giving. The same way Jesus is so life-giving, the way he calls us to the table and invites us into his grace. Jesus, uh, his heaviest words are for the, for the kind of proud righteous folk, okay? He's so loving and compassionate to those that have never encountered him. And so we need to have that same attitude with the ones in our lives that have never met Christ. So as I close in prayer, I'm going to invite us to think and pray for these ones, but also pray for opportunities to just ask questions. Opportunities to get to know them in a way that you never have before. And, and opportunities to be able to speak into hearts and lives uh, with the words of Jesus. And to invite them to call them, just as Jesus calls these ones to the table, that you can be his voice and call your friends and your family to Christ as well. So let's pray to that end. And to just hold, hold in your heart those, those names of those ones that you, uh, that you know so desperately need him. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that your heart 
is not simply to pull us out of this world, Lord, but your heart is to come and redeem this world. Lord, your faithful goodness is such that you want to come and take the sin and evil from our hearts, individually and from our communities and from our nations. Lord, you've done that at the cross, and today we give you thanks that you have made a way back into life with God again. Lord, I thank you uh, for so many here who have embraced you. And those moments, Lord, where we've repented and turned and followed you. Lord, where new life began in our hearts, and we can give testimony about that. But Jesus, I pray that you would help settle in our hearts what the gospel message really is. That the time has arrived when God has personally come with his kingdom to take our sin and evil and brokenness and by his great love forgive us and transform us and bring us into his life to set us on a new path. Lord, I thank you that that means that we are secure eternally in you, that when we die, we go to be with you and we are well. But I thank you also, Lord, that your mission is to empower your church to speak the truth of your good news. And so I pray today over these, these ones that are on our hearts, these names, Lord, and I pray that you would bring uh, divine opportunities for us to speak uh, your truth and your life with such grace and compassion we read about in Luke, that we would have that same care as we speak and listen to our friends and to our family that don't know you. Lord, I pray that there'd be opportunities just to ask questions. I pray that you'd help us to be good friends first. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bolden us also, Lord, that we wouldn't just be good friends, but we would be friends who would also point uh, to you with grace and compassion. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live out our faith well. Some of us, Lord, would have a hard time inviting uh, the ones that Jesus sits with to be a lot, inviting them to our houses. And so, Lord, for the times where we uh, have looked more like Pharisees and less like Jesus, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, that you would make us so aware of that good work you've done in our hearts, like a surgeon who comes and removes the sin and evil. Lord, make us more and more aware of that work you've done in us so that we can be ready to share that good truth with our friends and our family and our neighbors. Lord, that's a hard thing for a lot of us. So I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. Lord, I pray that right now you would fill us with a great measure of your spirit, Lord, that we would be encouraged to know we don't live out our faith on our own. Lord, you come alongside us. You refresh us. You revive us. Lord, for those of us who are lonely and sick and tired, I pray you would bring restoration and joy, just as we've sang this morning. Lord, for those of us who feel more like a tax collector, kind of a social outcast, I pray that you would remind us that you called everyone to the table. That your grace is sufficient to cover all sins. Lord, that your love is already for us. And so, Father, I pray that as we go from this place, you would uh, refill us and refresh us to be disciples 
to be a church that loves you and follows you. And I pray that that voice of worship and praise and grace will not just stay in these four walls, Lord, uh, but you would equip us to go and give that message to a world that desperately needs to hear you. Lord, I thank you for my friends. I pray you would bless them this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. I would just stand and I'll speak a better picture over you.